Okay. We are rolling. Okay. So, um, the topic that we're going to get into today is, uh, it's a show that was, um, I think for both of us, a pretty important part. I think it was a formative part of my life. Yeah. Really, of our whole lives, to be honest. Um, and that show was Airwolf. And I feel like it's a, it's a show that's been with me through every phase of my life. You yeah. know how there was that um, motivational poster or whatever you want, a spiritual poster in the eighties, like footsteps, uh, where you like you know the guy was walking around the beach, <laughs> you know, wondering where God was, but there were always these footsteps next to him, and it was Jesus or something. Right, the two set of footprints in the stand, yeah, the sand thing. Yeah, for me, it was like. There was always a there was always a helicopter from <laughs> Airwolf kind of following me along. You just like see a shadow with the like the propellers like yeah. over, overhead. There's always this buzz in the background. <laughs> right. So there was there was two sets of footprints in the stand and or like what can I keep saying stand in the sand. Yeah. And uh, and and one set of propellers in the sky. <laughs> yeah. That, that always flying over you. I never had the footsteps, but I had the propellers, and that's enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> One set of landing gear in the sand. Um, so, any for anyone who who isn't familiar with Airwolf, I think this is almost like it's it's like a, a public service announcement to make people aware of it. Yeah, I mean, if you're from Pakistan, you already know. Yeah, that's right. This is nothing new. If you're listening in Pakistan, like you already understand what we're talking about here, because uh, Airwolf is that's probably the only other place where Airwolf has the same cultural importance. Like, my understanding of Airwolf in Pakistan is that it was so popular that at one point, even though it was canceled in the United States, Uh there was such a demand for new episodes of Airwolf that they, like, took existing footage and then shot some of their their own things and kind of pieced together new episodes. And I would pay anything to see those. (laughs) So they they made, like, their own bootleg Airwolf. Yeah. Yeah. Almost kind of like those, um, like some franchises, like especially Star Trek, have like those fan productions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they kind of like will maybe like pirate some footage from the original show and kind of work it into their own thing. Yeah, and it still amazes me that the U.S. and Pakistan don't have better, real, better kind of like government relations when right. we had such a strong bond through Airwolf that we squandered. Yeah, I mean we have that common ground to build off of, like anything you know diplomatically should start there. Yeah. That, you know, if we just embrace Airwolf, that everything else kind of falls into place. It does. I mean, like, it's really the secret to peace and happiness and harmony in life. Yeah. Like, that maybe we, like, we could have gotten Bin Laden a lot sooner if we had just, like, painted one of our, like, Apaches to look like Airwolf and just sent it over there. Oh, he would have sacrificed himself to Airwolf yeah, out of respect. Like, everyone in Pakistan would have been, like, pointing, like, where to, where to go. I mean, I guess when they did take him out, there was a helicopter involved. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That does kind of remind me of one of one of my favorite things is, like, we were hanging out the night that uh, Bin Laden was killed. Oh, yeah. And when we, when we were there, when we were over at my house, we were like, I want to see how, like, different internet subgroups reacted to the death of Bin Laden. Right, yeah. And what, we went to like a sneeze status forum, uh, we went to a clown forum, Yeah, that's right. and then a forum for gangbangers. Yeah. And like, the gangbangers were skeptical. They wanted to see a body. They wanted proof. Yeah. 
Um, the clowns were kind of out for blood. Yeah, they were very much like they were soaking it in, like the revenge. Yeah, like not all the clowns, but there was a good percentage of clowns yeah. that like they 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 fed off of the blood. Yeah, and uh, if I remember correctly, the sneeze fetishes were surprisingly patriotic. They were like they were uh, really kind of celebrating it. It's like a time to come together, like celebrate as Americans, like we've defeated one of our biggest enemies. You know. Yeah. The only thing that could be better than this is if, like, he was sneezing when they got him. <laughs> well, you know, I should probably mention this now that I've got the secret Bin Laden sneeze tapes. <laughs> and um, let's just say I'm getting a house. <laughs> the highest NFT ever. Like, highest value NFT. <laughs> oh, God. So... Was Bin Laden the one who was obsessed with Whitney Houston? He had, like, all of her, like, CDs and, and her movies and stuff. There was something, like... Because there was that whole list of, like, his whole... Like, all the films and CDs and things that he owned. Yeah. I think there was, like, some anime and a, right. lot, a lot of porn. Right. And just... Yeah. Yeah. I guess I really don't need to know what... What Bin Laden... Yeah. I don't no. need to know what he committed. He kind of committed on into. <laughs> yeah, I know they made a big deal of that at the time because obviously after they got him, they raided his whole bunker and everything, yeah. and they found all that stuff. And like they're like, man, yeah, he's such a hypocrite that he was like this Muslim, you know, fundamentalist, but then he had all this porn. I'm like, do you really, do you really go to him as like an authority on anything religious? Like, what would have been better is if like they raided his compound. And the only media he had was just, like, three seasons of Elf. <laughs> if that was the case, I'd be like, maybe we got the wrong guy. I think so. I <laughs> think at that point, you got to, like, step back. Are we the baddies? Yeah. I mean, if, any... if, if all he had was Elf, we, we, we would have been in the baddies. Yeah, like, if anyone who likes Elf that much, he can't possibly be, like, the world's most wanted terrorist. Yeah, like... I'm not saying this would justify any of the stuff that happened, because obviously it wouldn't. No. But... If all he had was a three seasons of Alf, yeah, then I'd be I would be like looking at this and be like, you know what, maybe I misjudged you. Yeah, you know, maybe we could have brought him in alive. Yeah, yeah, maybe at least you know let him stand trial and then you know maybe the Alf defense could come in. And, oh no, you know. well I think the Alf defense would be more effective than the Twinkie defense, <laughs> or at least more ethical. Yeah. Um. Okay. So back to Airwolf. Um. So it was an action-based TV drama yeah. that ran for three seasons on CBS from uh, 1984 to 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a fourth season, uh, in the final season, which ran on the USA Network in 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, so the show was centered on a highly advanced military attack helicopter yeah. named Airwolf um, yeah. and its crew. And uh, Airwolf starred uh, Jan Michael Vincent as... <laughs> Which just just mentioning his name is funny. Oh yeah, um, what was his character? Was it Stringfellow yeah, Hawk? Yeah, so he played Stringfellow Hawk. That was the main character, um, and we'll get into the characters a little bit. Um, and then the other main uh, other star was Ernest Borgnine, <laughs> because I mean, Ernest Borgnine is really just kind of the star of anything he's in. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, the man lived into his nineties and should have lived ninety years more. Yeah, easily. Uh, yeah, so they were the two stars of the show. Um, 
and it was created and produced by Donald Belisario, who also created or co-created a few other shows that you've probably heard of, okay. such as Magnum P.I., uh, Quantum Leap, oh wow, uh, Jag, and NCIS. Okay. So notice that there's kind of a common theme with a lot of those. It's like military-related. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he was, yeah, he was known for that. He was also known for casting former veterans um, because he was a former Marine. Yeah. Uh, he served in the 50s with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in the Marines. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm starting to wonder, maybe the second shooter was actually Donald Belisario. It could have been. Either that or I'm kind of having to uh, confront that maybe Airwolf and Quantum Leap were propaganda, especially Quantum Leap. Definitely Quantum Leap. Yeah. God, Quantum Leap... Uh, trying to prepare us for the future that we're now living in. I know they're talking about bringing it back. Mm. I did watch a weird amount of Quantum Leap in the 80s, but... I definitely did watch some of it. I remember it. And obviously there was um, the Down Syndrome episode. I won't go into too much about it. Oh, I don't remember that. Um, I'll show you a clip later. Okay. Um, there's a very um, infamous clip from that episode. Oh. Maybe I have seen it. I think I think you have. I don't okay. want to say any more All than right. that. <laughs> well, that uh, there's actually an episode of Airwolf that we'll get into that you know, kind of sounds familiar now or, or seems related to that, possibly. So. Uh, did Airwolf predict the future? I think it might have in some ways. We'll see. Um, so it was you know the show was uh, you know it was. In, set in the 80s, you know, it was, yeah. it was from the 80s, it was, it was contemporary at the time. Uh, so many of the episodes uh, early in the show uh, featured storylines that involved the Cold War yeah. and kind of the espionage between like the U.S. and, and the Soviet Union. Um, but this didn't really win over viewers, I think, because at that point we're, so we're getting toward... Yeah, we were kind of getting it everywhere. the end of the Cold War, and people, I think, were probably a little, little weary of it by that point. Yeah. Um, so beginning with season two, the show changed its focus a bit and it went more towards an action-oriented domestic base, kind of like you know, yeah. stories taking place here. Still action and you know espionage and all that, but less about like the baddies being from yeah. the Soviet Union and stuff. Uh, also important, uh, they added a regular female cast member. So oh wow, that's, that's always what you do when the show is struggling in the ratings is you know you go to the honeypot. So yeah. Um, but those changes, unfortunately, had little effect, and so Belisario quit the show after the second season. Okay. Um, but production continued on for a third season, um, but the rising cost of producing the show meant that CBS kind of gave it a short leash. Yeah. Um, and also, Jan Michael Vincent, the star of the show, was having some issues uh, off the set. That's hard to imagine. Yeah. Um, I don't know for those who are unfamiliar with Jan Michael Vincent, but... He's been a picture of health. Yeah. So um, his alcoholism was becoming more and more of a problem in the mm -hmm. production of the show. Um, and so due to that high production cost, the continued low ratings, uh, CBS pulled the plug after that initial three-season run. Yeah. And that's when the show was picked up by the fledgling USA Network. Um, oh, yeah. I which, remember the U USA. Yeah. We had that back in, back in the 80s. And, like, I remember... What was on USA? It was Cartoon Express. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Simon and Simon. Ooh. Um, and then... 
Was America wasn't the there, or wasn't there like a show of like Gilbert Godfrey like up all night with like horror movies and things? Yeah, I think, I think that might have been a USA like ne- yeah. USA Network too. Yeah, it was like more like late night kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, at that time, you know, they were just kind of looking for anything they could to kind of boost their reputation. USA was a Spike TV before Spike TV. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so that fourth season was produced for USA Network, uh, but. It was filmed in, in Canada on a much smaller budget and with an entirely different cast. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so it was almost like they rebooted it. Because wasn't it something like it was like his, it was like Stringfellow's brother yeah. or. Yeah. I can't remember much about it. I just remember. Right. No, that that part's right. Yeah. Um, so another big blow was that the production crew lost access to the helicopter which had been used to portray Airwolf. Yeah. So they had to rely on recycled footage from the first three seasons of the show for any of the in-flight shots. So they couldn't the have found season. another helicopter in Canada, or no. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, we're just use re- recycle footage. Yeah. So, so that means when Pakistan made theirs, mm-hmm. they were recycling recycled footage, yeah. which honestly, that is like the most efficient use of footage ever. Yeah. So they were taking already recycled footage and then recycling it again into their own show. They upcycled it. They upcycled. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the USA Network, even though they picked up that fourth season, they didn't really have high hopes for the show either. Yeah. And they mainly did it because they were trying to increase its episode count so it would be eligible for syndication. Yeah. So that was another thing back in those days. We had this thing called syndication, which I guess that probably still exists now. Yeah. Um, it's just not as big of a deal. It's less of a, less of an issue now that we have all the streaming services, but right. what was it? Something you need like. 70 to 100 episodes yeah it was somewhere in there yeah it had to be on for a certain amount of time to be eligible yeah and then once the show got on syndication it could pretty much run forever as long as somebody picked it up um so that was the main reason why they produced the fourth season was just so they could get it into syndication yeah and that's probably when i first saw it i don't think i saw it like in the initial run i was probably a little too young for that but yeah I, i definitely saw it probably during that first syndication run maybe like in the late 90s or not late 80s, yeah. early 90s, somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, that's why we could, you still like, you put on any like basic cable now and they're still showing the same shit that they did 20 years ago. Yeah. Because everything just goes into syndication. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or it's how Seinfeld made so much money. Yeah. Because yeah, you can, you can still go to some channel now will be running episodes of Seinfeld or. Well, he made more, more money on syndication than dagging underage women. <laughs> yeah, which. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, because he's had a long run with both. But um, yeah, you kind of there's like there's sort of, there's sort of like a hierarchy with syndication as well, where like you know obviously a show that was more popular in its initial run, yeah. like Friends or something, is more expensive to to buy and then run in syndication than a show like Airwolf would have been. So that's why like you know depending on like if it's like more of like a, a basic cable network, they'll get like the better shows and syndication the more popular ones so is it okay for me to admit that i never thought friends was that funny no it wasn't it was just kind of like there yeah it was like popular and everything but i think it was just people watched it because there was nothing better yeah no i have to imagine that you know a lot of the shows that we grew up on and were you know popular and are still like culturally relevant they would not be popular today if they were yeah if they were because there wasn't choice yeah because we were still just limited to basically the you know it was still the the major networks you know because even when you had cable there was still like a good 15 percent of it that was just showing beastmaster over and over (laughs) 
Yeah, the early days of cable, it was like, yeah, it was a lot of syndicated stuff that was from, you know, previous generations. They yeah. didn't have their own shows yet, or not very many. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was stuff You see, like, like, I Love Lucy and... Yeah. Mork and Mindy and... Right. So it was, like, a lot of Beastmaster and, like, syndicated movies. And, or, Eight is Enough, all those types yeah, of things. Yeah, or just, like, all those, like, ma- direct-to-video kind of movies. Um, yeah. And then, of course, ESPN, it was The World's Strongest Man. Over oh, yes. Again. Which is actually kind of having to research and... Yeah. <laughs> at the moment, um, I'm trying to remember what they call it over in the U- UK. They've got this something Giants tour now, <laughs> and it's been getting like they've been having like big events and it's been getting like kind of this big surge in popularity. Nice. I almost went to one of the events like a couple of years ago. Over near over there. Yeah, <laughs> it was like annoyed because I was there, but then it was sold out. All oh, right, because it's so popular. And oh god, I so I had a. I had a weird encounter a couple of weeks ago. It's not that weird. Um, I was going to get a beard trim because this is where I've ended up in life. We all get there. Yeah. yeah. And and then I was just talking about going to, uh, going to Denver and Breckenridge to the uh, barber. And then the person sitting next to me happened to have lived in... Uh, li- lived in Breckenridge for a couple of years, gave me advice on a brewery to go to, which we ended up not going to, which I was a little sad about. Mm. But um, but the guy was a caber tosser. <laughs> and, like, you don't mistake a caber tosser. Like, no. you see, like, kind of like a caber tosser, strongman type guy. Yeah, you know. You know, because it's not like bodybuilder strong, but it's just like, oh, that yeah. that, that, that that man is thick. Right. And you're like, you you just don't you I've run into strongmen a few times in my life and it's, it's not a mystery. Yeah, there's like that the bodybuilder strength of like being able to lift heavy things, and then there's that kind of strength about being able to throw heavy things. And I think they're a bit yeah. different from each other. Oh yeah, and like, yeah, I was like, I was like so ecstatic to get a restaurant recommendation from a caper tosser. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of those like Highland Game things, right? Yeah. And also what I love about World's Strongest Man and things is, like, there's always new new ones, but they're never current. They're always, like, no. they, they keep making new ones, but you never see them until they're, like, two to three years yeah. old. Yeah. It's always one that's new to you, but it's not new. Yeah. Yeah. And I just enjoy the hell out of watching those things. Yeah. Just, like, the ridiculous things that they, that they do. They're, like, you know, like, pulling a truck with their teeth or whatever. Yeah. Like, I have no desire to do this. Like, maybe... I could see myself trying trying and failing to lift an atlas stone because that looks cool. Sure. Um, but I don't know. There's just something about the absurdity of the world's strongest man that is just like... Yeah. It's perfect. Right, because they still have to go through the, the rigorous training that yeah. any other you know, bodybuilder or any other, you know, other like Olympic athlete would have to do, but then that's what they do it for. Yeah. And there's like to, such a low return on investment. Yeah, to be able to like lift up like giant barrels full of... Yeah. I don't know, cement or something. Or to pull an airplane in neutral. Or yeah, yeah, that's another good one. I've seen that before, too. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I also love it, too, because, like, those events, sometimes they're kind of in places you expect. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes it's like, oh, we're in Kinshasa. Or yeah, we're in the Maldives. The or yeah. we're in some far-flung stretch of the world that probably has a very questionable government. Mm-hmm. But this is this is this is the event that they could kind of get to try to draw people. Right, and they seem to be. Able, it's something that you could kind of do anywhere, you know. Yeah. 
So, like, yeah, you'll see, like, one year it's in, like, Spain or something. They're like, okay, that's cool. And then, like, the next year it's in, like, Brunei. Like, how did we get here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that could be its own episode one day. Yeah, we could probably get into the world's strongest man. Oh, um, Magnus for Magnuson. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, they probably should have it in Iceland because it's, like, where half of the guys come from. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Nordic countries are well represented. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's just get into, uh, <laughs> kind of the, the synopsis of what, you know, Airwolf was about, just kind of like the, yeah. you know, basically, you know, the, the overarching theme of the show. Um, so, you know, Airwolf was the name of the, the helicopter and it was, it was a prototype stealth attack helicopter. Yeah. And it was designed by Dr. Charles Henry Moffat, who was a psychopathic genius working for an organization, which was simply known as the firm. And that's basically supposed to be kind of like a knockoff of the CIA. Yeah. So um, Moffat steals Airwolf during a live fire weapons test and destroys a bunker where the test is being observed by members of the firm. Yeah. And an unnamed U.S. senator. Um, oh, God, this is giving me... Um, so this is, I think, all from like the pilot episode. Um, this, this is giving me like some Jim Jones vibes. Yeah. <laughs> where they did the... Where what was it like that senator was coming to investigate it, and then oh. they killed they killed him. And right, yeah, that might be where they're taking this from. Then yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he he steals Airwolf and then like turns it around, and then he destroys the bunker. He, he kills the senator, and then the director of the firm, who is only known by his code name Archangel, um, he is seriously injured in the attack, and then Moffat takes off with Airwolf and flies it to Libya, because <laughs> back then Libya was like an enemy and. Not this like lawless place that God, we I had a brother who was in the Navy at the time. Oh, yeah. And at one point, I want to say like Libya fired on one of the one of the ships on his on his fleet. Oh, yeah. I can't remember the whole story in that, but right. it was it would have been like the Enterprise in Truxton. Mm-hmm. So what one of the ships on that was like fired on by Libya or something like that. One of the ships that he was on. Or at least in his fleet. Okay. I don't think he faced fire, but I think someone in the fleet did. Yeah. And do you know, like, what what happened with that? Like, did they return fire, or was it just kind of like a... I don't know. It was just like an incident? It was just an incident with Gaddafi. Yeah. I'm sure there was a, a bunch of things like that. He probably thought they were astronauts. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, do you ever read the insane... Oh, he wrote a book or something. The, the yeah, same wrote, book or short story that... He wrote a few books. He wrote about astronauts being useless as farmers. <laughs> <laughs> I remember he wrote some kind of crazy book. I didn't know that was the oh, it's Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, boy. Wow. What is it with, like, dictators and they just love to write books? I don't know. But what I love, too, is that... Because they love writing books. But then I love that, like... Saddam Hussein wrote romance novels. Right, yeah, Saddam, and of course, uh, I don't know if Hitler wrote novels, but I know he was obsessed with that. Um, who was that author that they wrote all like the German author who wrote all the oh, um, all the like the old West books. Um, was it something my? Um, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, out was it? Was it Karl? Karl May, I think. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Who wrote like? You know, all the books about Shatterhand as a kind of like the noble savage, uh-huh. savage, and uh, kind of le- kind of led to this weird thing of like Ger- Germany being obsessed with like the Southwest and Native American tribes. Right. 
And it's also led to one of my favorite little weird things where there's some Native American languages where there's so few speakers left that the only experts in the languages are Germans. Yeah. And right. it all comes out of... Yeah. It all comes out, out of the uh, novels about Shatterhand and everything. And then at one point, I was like looking at uh, visiting like a Karl May museum in Germany where they had like a replica of the weird, super powerful gun from the books. But I never got to go. Yeah. For a future visit. Yeah. Because sure. I want to say it was by Dresden or something, but then... Oh, that, yeah. That's, uh, that's a good place to put it there. It is. <laughs> a lot of history there. Um, so uh, the firm then recruits Airwolf's chief test pilot, Stringfellow Hawk, so that's our main guy, J. Yeah. Michael Vincent. Um, so they task him with recovering Airful, Airwolf and taking out the crazy Dr. Moffat. Yeah. So he does get Airwolf back, um, and he gets rid of Moffat, but not before Moffat tortures and kills his lover, Gabrielle, who was also Archangel's assistant. Yeah. And so that led to one of the most memorable scenes in the entire show. Oh, yeah. Which is when he's playing his cello at the lake, and there's an eagle flying overhead. And he's like, there's like a single tear running down. And he's like, she promised me, damn it. No! <laughs> yeah, so um, that's kind of like, that's kind of setting the uh, the tone for like the rest of the series where he's, you know, getting over this loss and, and uh, he has uh, revenge on his mind. Yes. So instead <sighs> of turning Airwolf back over to the firm who had, you know, assigned him to go and get it back, Hawk then takes it and he hides it in a remote mountain location and refuses to return it to them until they find his brother, St. John. Oh, yeah. Was, was it St. John or they call him like Sinjin or something like that? Yeah, I think it's technically St. John, but yeah, they call him like Sinjin or something. Because, yeah, there was like some other book I can't... It was from like the 1800s and there was some love interest in that book, like Sinjin Rivers. It was something... Oh. I can't remember. I'm I'm having too many threads that I cannot I know. connect right now. Airwolf I think brings up a lot of things for us. So I think I'm in that just tired enough state <laughs> where my mind is kind of frantically going in many different directions. It's just like free association right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, he basically he's, he 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 gets Airwolf back, but then he doesn't turn it back over to the fake CIA. Yeah, because he's always by. Was he's always by like this lake in the mountains playing like a cello or yeah. something? So he has like this mountain hideaway, because that's how you know he's tough but sensitive. Right. So that's where he takes Airwolf, and he doesn't. He refuses to give it back until the firm helps him to find his brother who was missing in action in Vietnam. Yeah. So then he partners up with Dominic Santini or Ernest Borgnine. Yep. The real hero of the show. Um, who was a, a fellow helicopter pilot, and he owned his own uh, civilian aviation company called Santini Air. Yeah. Um, and Santini became a father figure for Stringfellow after he lost his parents in a boating accident. <laughs> Which I think, is that what happened to, uh, to Batman? Uh, to Bruce Banner? No, no. I don't think it was a boating accident, but his parents were, were, mur were oh, murdered. Right. But yeah, it would have been much better if like, once his parents, Batman's parents were gone, that Ernest Bar Borgnine stepped in as a fa father figure. He should be for both Stringfellow Hawk and for Batman. Yeah. Well, 
like, I, I would watch Batman movies if like yeah. that was like a plot is that when Batman's parents yeah. were killed, Ernest Borgnine stepped in to to kind of be a father figure for yeah. Batman. You remember what was Batman's real name again? Bruce Wayne or something? Bruce Wayne, that's right. I said Bruce Banner, but I think that's the yeah. Hulk. Yeah, Bruce Wayne. Um, so yeah, he actually should have been the father figure for both Bruce Wayne and for Stringfellow Hawk. Yeah. Um, so then he becomes Hawk's co-pilot when they fly missions on Airwolf. Yeah. Um, so what they do is they end up carrying out missions for the firm in exchange for protection from yeah. the U.S. government because they're charging Hawk with stealing government property yeah. because they want Airwolf. So everyone wants Airwolf, basically. Oh, yeah. So he's kind of caught between the CIA and the government. And so he and kind of works for the CIA. And there's a sexy helicopter in between. Yeah, in exchange for them keeping the government. That's quite the love stuff. triangle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so those are the two main characters. Um, so we'll get into a little bit of their backstory. Um, so Stringfellow Hawk is a former military pilot who served in Vietnam. Yeah. But now leads a, reclus- a reclusive lifestyle after coming to believe that everyone who gets close to him will meet a tragic end. And so far, that's been true. Yeah. His parents, uh, Gabrielle. So he lives alone in a log cabin in the mountains outside of Los Angeles with his coonhound, Tet, who he named after the Tet Offensive in 1968. Yeah. So he's still got Vietnam on his mind at this point. Um, but yeah, like you said, despite his tough exterior, Stringfellow is a sensitive man and uh, a man of, of culture. Didn't Jim Morrison's dad have like some big role in the Tet Offensive? Yeah, I know he was in the Navy or something, so I think he was Yeah, but he was like a pretty high yeah, he was like a, ranking officer yeah, or admiral or something. But yeah. I don't know. That's, again, like I said, my mind is kind of like free, in free association mode right now. Well, we can always work Jim Morrison in somehow. So. Yeah. Um, so Stringfellow has a master's degree in physics. Okay. He has a collection of rare and valuable paintings, and he enjoys playing his Stradivarius cello. Um, and he's so he's also, a man of substance. Yeah. He's an avid fisherman, and uh, he refuses to eat red meat, and he refuses to wear underwear. Oh. Just like any man of culture. Yeah. I mean, whenever you go to a museum, like, everyone is free-balling it. For sure. Yeah. No red meat to be found and no underwear. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the other main character is Dominic Santini, of course. So he originally is from the fictional Caribbean nation of San Remo. Ah. Um, so I like to imagine San Remo being... Um, if Columbus, obviously, he was he was Italian, but he was sailing for Spain, and that's yeah. why, you know, when he discovered the New World and, you know, the Spanish conquered it, that's why so much of, you know, North America or South America speaks Spanish. But there was mm-hmm. one place where Columbus claimed it for Italy, and that, that's he claimed San it for him. He, cl- he claimed it for him. For himself, yeah. So it's the one little, little I part would of love, the I would love a world map of, like, all the fictional nations... <laughs> like from shows and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess there's the, what, that Wakanda thing from Black Panther. Oh, right. And I can't remember the name of the fictional nation from Coming to America. Oh, yeah, I forget. No. There's a lot of fictional nations, though. Just an entire new map of the world, just for yeah. all of those. Yeah. It would kind of look like one of those like early maps that they did like in the Age of Exploration. Oh, yes. Kind of thing, just like these blobs all over. Here be dragons. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> And here's San Remo. Um, so Santini uh, was also a fighter pilot, both in World War II and the Korean War. And he served alongside Hawk's father, and the two became good friends. So that's how he became sort of like yeah. a father figure. He was a friend of the family. And then he raised Stringfellow and his brother after their parents died. 
and then he started his own company, Santini Air, and then Stringfellow came to work for him first as a stunt pilot yeah. uh, for Hollywood productions, um, and then later on they became you know a team uh, with Airwolf. Um, so Santini also kind of believed that you know tragedy followed him. Yeah. Uh, he lost his estranged daughter to a drug overdose. So Sam Remo is kind of a rough place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's frequently the co-pilot on Airwolf and the mentor and a father figure to our, our main character. So really the two are, you, know, you can't have one without the other. Hopefully he's a better better father to Stringfellow than he was his own daughter. <laughs> I think he might have been, yeah. Um, so I'm just going to give you some highlights of, of each season of Airwolf, just okay. kind of episodes. Uh, these would be like the ones that I would recommend if you, if you want to get into the series. Yeah. Uh, these are the ones that you should check out. Uh, so we'll start with season one, uh, episode three. This episode was called Daddy's Gone a Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis of each of these episodes. Okay. Um, so Hawk is given the assignment of finding a test pilot who is about to steal a fighter plane and fly it to the Soviet Union. So this is still when we're back in like the Cold yeah. War storylines. But he discovers that the pilot is an old Vietnam War buddy, and he's stealing the plane in exchange for the return of his half-Vietnamese son. So the boy had grown up on the streets of Saigon, and he was captured and being held, held as a bargaining chip for the plane. So... Wait, did Ernest Borgnine have a half-Vietnamese son? No, it was one of uh, Stringfellow's uh, Vietnam War buddies. Okay. So he kind of got blackmailed into helping the Soviets because they had his half-Vietnamese son. Okay. Well, at least he wanted his son. Yeah, which, yeah, we'll give him credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, There are worse fathers out there. Yeah. You know, if if you have to work with the Soviets to get your son back, I understand. Yeah. We won't hold that against you. Uh, so we'll go to season one, episode eight. This one's called Fight Like a Dove. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, there, wasn't there one, so, some weird aspect to Stringfellow Hawk where it's like he was like the fighter pilot and everything, but he was like a pacifist or... Yeah, it was something like that. Like everything he was doing like was reluctant, you know? Yeah. Like he didn't really want to be doing this, but he was just so damn good at it that... Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't keep away. There is just this reluct- reluctant masculinity that oozed yeah, out of him. Exactly. Uh, so in this episode, a woman named Sarah LeBeau seeks out Hawk and Santini to help avenge the death of her father, who was murdered by a former Nazi named Karl Kruger. Karl <laughs> <laughs> Uh So she wants to use Airwolf to attack Kruger's fortress in Paraguay. So a little allusion to the uh, oh yeah the Nazis who fled to South America after yep. the war. Um, but Archangel from the firm informs uh, Hawk that they have their own interest in Kruger and that he must not be interfered with. And they discover that what he meant by that is that Kruger is also a weapons dealer in possession of an advanced artillery system just known as Thor. Yes. Um, so they don't want him to, to mess with that because they're trying to get their hands on this this yeah. uh, advanced artillery system. So some more kind of intrigue involved with that. Um also of note in this episode, Airwolf reaches an altitude of 86,500 feet uh, during a test flight. Um, <laughs> but Which is like way higher than like a, if, yeah. than like a U-2 or SR-71 type <laughs> aircraft. Yeah, so if that sounded a bit high to you, uh, it should be noted that the record altitude for a helicopter is 42,500 feet. So <laughs> Airwolf almost like doubled the, uh, the record altitude. It was just that good. Yeah it, it, yeah, it was just that good. 
God, I just kind of thinking of like the Germans in like South America. Mm-hmm. I remember asking a German friend about them once, and there was just like, you don't want to know the you you don't want to know them. <laughs> oh, I mean, like asking about like the the current ones, not the ones who fled there, but like the people in South America now that are like of German. I mean, ancestry. I guess it wasn't clear if they were talking about the ones that fled or the people who or their descendants. Right. Because there obviously there are a lot of people in South America yeah. who are descended from Germans, but it just depends on whether they were like immigrants from further back or mm-hmm. a little bit more recent. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I think there sounds it got the impression that there was um, some hesitance around those particular Germans. I'm not sure if that was just my friend or if that's kind of Germans in general these days, except for maybe in East Germany. <laughs> Yeah, it's understandable. And I guess East Germany doesn't exist anymore, but that's where a lot of the far right and kind of... Um, right. In the former East Germany. Is it the NDP or what's the weird far right party in AFD, Germany? AFD, I think. Was it? AFD. AFD, that's right. Yeah. They're strongest in East Germany. Yeah. Now, or, or what used to be East Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the final episode that we'll talk about from season one is called Mind of the Machine. Okay. So Archangel asks Hawk and Santini to test fly an airwolf simulator designed by Dr. Robert Winchester, played by David Carradine. Oh, wow. Who worked with Dr. Moffat, the crazy guy, on the design of the real airwolf. But involved in this test is an attractive assistant who, unbeknownst to all, is really an undercover KGB agent with orders to steal the schematics for airwolves that the Soviets can build their own. Did you ever see the Soviet space shuttle? I think I have, yeah. So we don't have anything. I feel like that here. would have been the same case with the Soviet Airwolf. I think so. Yeah. It would have looked approximately right, but it would not have been. It would not yeah, have been it right. Wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been the same. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of the end of their whole like theme with the Cold War espionage and stuff. Um, and yeah, I gotta give them credit for the uh, the David Carradine cameo as well. Oh yeah, I. There's a lot of things about David Carradine, but we don't. <laughs> We've already gone too yeah, we, far. We may say that for another time. Yeah. We'll get into some of the, the Kung Fu stuff from this era. Um, so moving on to season two, we'll start with just the, the first episode of season two, which was called Sweet Britches. Okay. Uh, so Hawk learns that another uh, Vietnam War buddy of his has been gunned down in the Texas desert by a corrupt and sociopathic sheriff after uh, this man supposedly escaped from jail. So they fly Airwolf down to investigate themselves, and they find that the conditions of the killing are suspicious. And there, Hawk meets and takes interest in a female highway patrol deputy named Caitlin O'Shaughnessy, who is quite aware of the sheriff's strange dealings and corruption. And after catching Hawk snooping around, the sheriff has him arrested and taken to a game preserve where ruthless sportsmen pay big money to hunt down people, and Hawk is used as the prey. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so he's the ultimate prey. Yeah. So this corrupt sheriff is actually running like a human hunting preserve down in Texas. Uh, Which, I mean, if I if we if we saw a news story now that, that there was like a human game preserve in Texas, like I don't think we would be that shocked about no, it. No, I'd be like, all right. I remember there was that thing way back uh, where there's this preserve in uh, Texas where they allow people to hunt online. What, like, with like, 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 what, like you drones could control, or something? You, you could, it was pre-drone, so you could have like this 
gun that you could control over the internet and hunt. Oh, <laughs> so like a simulator game is not enough, then you can like take yeah. it to the next level. Yeah. But now you could probably do it with drones, right? You could just because uh, that's basically what well, that's kind of what the military does. Yeah. So. I know that like they had like a, a big problem with like feral hogs down there. Yeah. And you had like Ted Nugent like shooting them out of a helicopter and shit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it isn't that big of a stretch to imagine that we'll eventually have human prey, you know, and they'll be like shot out with drones. Yeah. Uh, so season two, episode seven was called Fallen Angel. Uh, okay. and in this episode, both Hawk and Santini are injured after a botched stunt in a biplane. So I don't know how they go from Airwolf to a biplane, but... Well, I guess they got to pay the bill somehow. Yeah, maybe Airwolf is in the shop or something. Um, yeah. Or maybe it's just some of their, some of their stunt work. Um, and so Hawk injures his arm, uh, but Santini is injured far worse, and he's left bedridden. Um, and at the hospital... Oh, no, did he injure his drunk? It might have been, yeah. So there's this thing about Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> yeah. At one point, he had this interview... Asking about what his secret was to um, living a long life. Mm -hmm. And then he whispered on TV that he masturbates a lot. (laughs) I remember this. (laughs) So if he lost, if he had a severe arm injury, then that would have taken years off of his life. Oh, right. (laughs) So I guess he was lucky that that he wasn't the one with his arm injured because that would have been, you know... Yeah, I was really concerned. Uh, crippling for him. Yeah. Literally. Um, so while they're at the hospital, Hawk is informed that Archangel has been taken prisoner by that Nazi Karl Kruger and being held in his compound in East Germany because, as we know, yeah. East Germany now is, is like the hotbed of far-right activity yeah. in Germany, which is kind of weird because, obviously, East Germany has a much different history. Well, yeah, but I guess it's kind of one of the trends is like, Places that were kind of like the Soviet satellite states have maybe overcorrected. Right. Cough Poland, cough Poland. <laughs> um, and they have went too far in the other direction yeah. now. Yeah, there's definitely been an overcorrection. So, um, so they so they plan to mount a, a rescue operation, and that's when Hawk recruits Caitlin, the uh, the deputy that he met in Texas, yeah. and they and the fem, the female cast member that was added to the show for this se- second season here. Uh, so she temporarily replaces Santini while he's in the hospital. And so uh, they have to kind of rush to get her trained up to be a co-pilot. Um, and they realize that you just can't do this without Santini. Yeah. And so they spring him from the hospital, even though he's still not really 100%. No, this isn't a feminist. This isn't like some sort of anti-feminism thing. It's just that no. Santini's just that good. Yeah. It's, you know, you know, Caitlin's still part of the team, but, you know... You need the best for Airwolf, you know. Yeah. And there's only two men that can do this job. Kind of like when Ernest Borgnine masturbates. (laughs) (laughs) So, um. She promised me, damn it. (laughs) No. So they go, um, so they go on this mission to save Archangel in East Germany. But the important thing from this episode is that, um, Jan Michael Vincent's arm really was broken. (laughs) <laughs> for this episode because he broke it during a drunken argument with his wife. Oh, wow. So like, he must have like, smashed a window or something. But I just like that they worked it into the script. Yeah, I guess like, you kind of have to come up with a way. It's just like, 
shit, our like lead actor just broke his arm attacking his wife. Yeah. And it was before the era of be like, oh, he, maybe he shouldn't be on the, maybe we, he shouldn't have a show. No. But it's just like, oh, we're just going to work it into the plot. Yeah. It's like, no, it was just from a biplane accident. Cause yeah, I, there was, he's had quite a few accidents and things. And right. I don't know a if you've seen injuries on the show. I can't remember off. if Jan Michael Vincent is still with us or not, but I don't think he is, but you can double check. Um, he was not looking good. No, I know he was in pretty rough shape there. There's that whole thing of probably at some point we could just do a whole thing comparing Jan Michael Vincent and Val Kilmer. Yeah. Because they It's got a character study. There's some connections. Yeah. Um yeah, yes. he died. In, Jan Michael Vincent died in 2019. Okay, yeah. So, uh, so COVID didn't get him. He, he beat COVID. Yeah, but he was kind of like a poor, a poor man's Val Kilmer. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so you can see even here, like early in the second season, already we're having trouble, you know, with him. Yeah. Instability, and they're trying to find a way around it. You know, like he breaks his arm. Like, okay, well, we'll try and work that into the show. Um. But as we'll see, like it gets more and more difficult. Oh boy! Um, so the next episode, right out, or actually season uh, two, episode seven. Okay, episode nine. This one is called Flight Zero Nine Three is missing. Yeah. So Flight Ninety Three is missing. Oh no! So we talked about Airwolf predicting the future. Um, so Flight Zero Nine Three was hijacked by terrorists and crash landed into the ocean. Uh, the terrorists take the passengers hostage and threaten to execute them unless they're paid $50 yeah. million. Dollars. Uh, but this incident oh. becomes personal once Hawk and Santini learn that Caitlin was on this flight, and they mount a rescue operation to find the plane. Oh, wow. And upon finding it, they discover that the terrorists are using a fishing vessel armed with rockets to <laughs> guard this plane. Yeah. And so, yeah, they have to rescue the passengers uh, before the plane sinks and runs out of air. Reluctantly. Reluctantly, yeah. So, in this instance, Airwolf clearly predicts the future. Yeah. Flight 93 is hijacked by terrorists and crashes. I mean, yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. So, it's all there. So, if we had had Airwolf on 9-11, then maybe things would have turned out differently. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Um. So we'll go to episode 18, right? Okay. Toward the end of the season. This one's called Out of the Sky. Hawk and Santini are filming aerial footage for a music video by country star Roxanne Marvel. Oh, wow. Uh, so they're still kind of doing their day job in the middle of all this. Like, I do like that. Like, yeah. they've got all these things going on for the firm, but there's still time to do. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of like moonlighting uh, as, yeah. as government agents, but then by day, they're still just doing, like, aerial photography, yeah. stunt work, stuff like that. Um, but unbeknownst to everyone, uh, Roxanne's corrupt manager is plotting to murder her to boost record sales. Oh, wow. And replace her with a body double. Which, is that what they try to do to Selena? I mean, Selena was murdered by the president of her fan club. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, I don't I think they it was her manager or something. Okay. No, it was the president of her fan club. I don't think, I don't know, I can't remember what the rationale was. I think she was just severely... Just obsession or something like obsessed and um not Just right unstable yeah but yeah i don't think there was an idea of like trying to replace her with a body double no i don't remember that part of it um so uh yeah then she was kid yeah, the real roxanne is kidnapped by uh the manager's goons yeah and so they have to ra- mount a rescue mission in airwolf 
to save her before her big concerts. Yeah. Again, we have to fall back on Airwolf. I'm not sure how you know Airwolf works into this, but yeah, because I do feel like you could do this entire mission without without a yeah. I don't know what attack helicopter. Yeah. Like I'm just like imagining like Airwolf like launching rockets at the Grand Old Opry or something. Which I mean that would have been pretty great too. I just want Airwolf to blow up Branson. Yeah, I mean, if it was going to do anything constructive. Except for Shohei Otane, that you can leave him alone. Okay. <laughs> but the rest of Branson is up for grabs. Wait, what's the connection there? Because he's on the Angels, right? He's that Japanese. Oh, n- no. Well, there is that player with the Angels, but then there was a... I might be mixing up names. Um, Branson, I'm searching for this right now. Are you thinking of somebody who's in Branson? Yeah. Because I know Yakov Smirnov was there, or maybe still is there. Oh, Soji Tabuchi. Who's that? He was like this Japanese-American country fiddle player that has his own theater in Branson. Oh, wow. I've never yeah, heard so of somehow that. I was mixing up so- Shoji and Shohei. Shohei. <laughs> I just haven't thought of uh, Soji Tabuchi in quite a while. And then mm-hmm. Shohei Otani just won, like, the uh, MVP award unanimously. Right. So I guess he was just on the top of my mind. Yeah. Well, I guess he deserved to win it when you're, like, the best player on both sides of the ball. But, yeah. Um, but for all we know, maybe he likes Branson, too. He might. Yeah. He's been in the U.S. long enough now that maybe he didn't, maybe yeah. he sneaks away to Branson. Yeah. Like, in the off season, he's there a lot. Yeah. Uh, so one more episode from Season 2. Episode 19 is called Dam Breakers. Okay. Uh, so Hawk is hired to fly a news reporter to interview a group of religious zealots who have an isolated commune near a hydroelectric dam. So that sounds dangerous. Yeah. And again, that's the the day job. You know, he's just doing. It sounds like a pretty routine job here, but but they discovered that uh, people in the village below have been continually abducted by this group, and then they uh, take down Airwolf and yeah. hold them hostage. And their plan is to blow up the dam if fellow members of their extremist group are not released from prison. Yeah. So Hawk manages to escape, and he gets a message out to Santini, who then arrives with Caitlin and Airwolf. But then they are attacked by the terrorist B-25 bomber, and that's when we have, like, an aerial dogfight. Oh, wow. Uh, I should mention that the B-25 bomber is the plane that my grandfather flew on in World War II. So I don't know why that's uh, fighting Airwolf in the 1980s. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a... Fair matchup. No. You have a super advanced helicopter that can fly 86,000 feet. Yeah. And you've got a bomber from World War II. Right. I know planes have like a long life. Yeah. But you just feel like... Guessing not quite as maneuverable as Airwolf. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, how? who would have believed that? <laughs> like, even at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So It is uh, probably weird. Like, we're probably at this point now where... We're further away from Airwolf than Airwolf was to World War II or something. Um, we're getting there, yeah. I guess we're getting close. Yeah, because that would have been, at that time, probably about 40 years. Yeah. And we're almost 40 years from out from Airwolf, so we're getting there, yeah. Oh, man, that's weird. Yeah, the Airwolf is now like right in the middle between our present and World War II. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah, I just saw like the, like the last of like the, the first wave of D Day soldiers just like celebrated his ninety ninth birthday. Yeah. So like we're gonna be celebrating like Airwolf's ninety ninth birthday. Yeah. Um okay, so now we'll move on to season three. Um 
we'll start with episode three, which was okay. called And a Child Shall Lead. And uh, oh, this wow. is what I was alluding to before with that Quantum Leap episode. Yeah. So a leading aircraft designer named Robert Phelps is abducted by foreign agents. So we're not saying Soviet anymore. We're just saying foreign agents. Okay. But that's probably what's implied here. Um, uh, in front of his mentally challenged son, Bobby. Oh, no. So Hawk takes the assignment to find Phelps, and he's helped by Bobby, whose autism gives him the ability to draw detailed clues from his memory. Oh, wow. So it's just like one of the earlier portrayals of like autism on TV? Yeah, probably one of the other ones I can think of, um, at least explicitly. Tell the wizard. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, so while in the agent's custody, Phelps has a sudden heart attack and is rendered useless to them, I guess because he can't yeah. help them now. Um, but then once they learn that Bobby, his son, given his abilities, can accurately reproduce his design plans just from memory, they attempt to kidnap him. And so it's up to Hawk and Airwolf to stop them. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So Airwolf gets involved saving an autistic boy in season three. Oh, wow. So it's about raising awareness, but it's also about raising awareness of Airwolf, I guess. Yeah, we might have to watch that one. Yeah. No, this is definitely, uh, all these ones would be recommended. Um, so uh, season three, episode eight was called Annie Oakley. Oh, wow. Um, so an advanced laser device called the Mongoose <laughs> is stolen from the firm in yeah. transport while it was on its way to uh, a testing ground. And the thief named Carl Stern is expected to sell it on the black market to an East German buyer. So, again, we're, we're back to East Germany here. So maybe they kind of replaced the Soviet Union here. Yeah. Um, so still kind of Cold War Eastern Bloc, but not Russia. Yeah. Um, but then uh, his partner in the deal uh, realized that he's, he's being cut out and then goes to the firm for a reward to kind of, like, turn him in. Yeah. Um, and so then somehow, like... Uh, of course, Airwolf has to get involved. Um, and they, they winds up uh, in some kind of a shootout at a rodeo. And it's really hard to follow how that happened. I, I don't remember this particular yeah. episode, but I do want to watch this one as well just to see like how this all ties together. Oh, it won't. It, it won't, but I just want to see how they attempt to. <laughs> yeah, none of these actually tie together when you watch them, but, um, but that's, that's part of the fun. Uh, so season three, episode nine was called Jenny. Okay. It's a pretty simple one, but yeah. uh, Hawk and Caitlin this time, they go to a war-torn South American country. We don't know what country that is. It's yeah. probably made up. Probably Nicaragua, just based yeah, off of the time. the time period, yeah. And they meet up with a legendary soldier just known as El Gato. <laughs> the cat. The cat, yeah. And uh, they're, they team up with him to find an imprisoned scientist. And he learns that this scientist was developing a robotic tank called the ALV for automated land vehicle. Yeah. So almost like ALF, but it's the ALF. Yeah. Um, and it could be... Well, you know, in German, the V is kind of pronounced like an F. Right. So in Germany, they would call this the ALF. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this robotic tank can be piloted remotely. So it's basically like a drone tank. Yeah. Um, so again, Airwolf predicting the future, except for their drones were on the ground. Yeah. Um, but then it's... it's uh, Stolen by the rebel forces, who I guess in this episode at least are the bad guys. Uh, so we're, yeah. Airwolf is pro-government here you, in this case. Oh, wow. So they're pro-Manuel uh, Noriega. Apparently, yeah. Okay, so they differ They differ a little bit from the U.S. government for the time. Right. <laughs> so that Was might have been the a... the Sandinistas that were... Yeah. 
the rebels that I the U- yeah, U.S. supported, so. or, or the, I think, or the Sandinistas that the left wing rebels. So maybe yeah, maybe we did support Noriega then. Yeah, I can't re- I can't remember off so, the top of my head. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what side Airwolf is on here. Like if I don't know, if they were kind of like being bold and taking more of like a uh, you know an opposition approach, or yeah, or if they were kind of siding more with the government. Uh, but um, so they they launched an operation to. Uh, to rescue the scientists, but we lose Elgato in that mission. Oh, shit. Um, and so they're forced to hide out in a remote village where they meet an American woman who is there teaching deaf children. Um, again, so we maybe we're bringing in another, you know, we had the episode with the autistic boy, and now yeah. we have deaf children. So they're trying to raise awareness. They, they're trying to, because this was during, like, the very special episode era in the 80s where yes. they were trying <laughs> to take on... That, that's probably a whole episode on its own. It's just a it, yeah, history of yeah. very special episodes. It needs to be. But, yeah, I know there was something, like, there was some part in Central America where um, there was, like, a deaf school and, and, like, the kids just developed their own form of sign language. Yeah. I can't remember what it is. I have no clue if this is based off it or not, or it's just, like, oh, this sounds like a sympathetic plot line. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's definitely based on... Like, oh, look like at this that. woman doing good things. How is Stringfellow Hawk going to get to her? Yeah. How can we work Airwolf into this? Um, what was that... Uh, you showed it to me a while back. Yeah. What was that show that... It was in, you know, another show from this era that had, like, that... They always have that um, serious episode. Oh. What was God. that one? Do you remember what I'm talking about? It was, like... Yeah. Was it... Um, it wasn't Punky Brewster, was it? Was it Alf? I think it was Alf, wasn't it? Yeah. It was It was one with, like, like a kid who was, like, terminally ill. Oh, yeah, it was Alf, with, yeah, dealing with a terminally ill, terminally ill kid. Yeah. And it wasn't, like, Max Wright dealing with um, his addiction and <laughs> especially his addiction to hobos. Yeah. So it wasn't on that, but it was, like, a, about like a kid with cancer and Alf having to be, the, like, pretending to be a toy... But then talking to the kid and yeah. somehow trying to comfort him through his own death. Right. It was pretty... So it was like Alf is like a hospice nurse for a yeah. dying child? Yeah, it was um, Yeah, it was, it was pretty heavy for, uh, for the time and for you know, Alf, especially. Like, yeah. Now, was it the actual kid or was it like based on like, you know, it was a real kid who was terminally ill, who was like a fan of the show, and then it was like dedicated to him or something? Yeah, something like there was this terminally ill kid... That wrote a letter to Al for the production studio. That's right, yeah. And then they used his story as inspiration for an episode. Okay, yeah. But yeah, it was just like Alf dealing with like existence and life and like yeah. Alf as an existential therapist. Right, and, and dealing with, with loss and grief and all these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. Um, so yeah, this is, I guess, maybe like Airwolf's attempt at that or something. Yeah. I guess, uh, I mean, I guess they do deal with loss a little bit in the show as well, but, um, but yeah, they definitely seemed like there was this thread running through the show where they were trying to uh, raise awareness about like disabilities, mental health, things like yeah. that. Um, so staying with season three, episode 11 was called, where have all the children gone? So yeah. here we go. Um, oh, so no. here we go. Another Vietnam war buddy pops up, um, named John Fargo. Yeah. Uh, who dies and was laid to rest. Um, and then Hawk takes his, the flag from his coffin and his war medals and brings him back to his hometown to give them to his one surviving relative, his estranged brother, Billy, 
who mysteriously did not attend the funeral. Yeah. But then they find they can't find Billy, but it turns out that he's basically like um, running this little town. Yeah. And it's it's sort of like a cult situation where it's a bunch of hippies and stuff, and like he's oh, like wow. their leader. Um, so Billy doesn't like Hawks snooping around, and so yeah. he throws him in jail. So Santini comes looking for him, and uh, that's when they discover that Billy has been training a militia of youths to steal a <laughs> nuclear missile called Space Guard from a nearby aerospace facility, and their plan is to target it at Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. So they must scramble to push Airwolf to her limits and stop the missile before it hits its target. Yeah. And so we, we talked before how Airwolf set a new altitude record. They got to yeah. about 86,000 feet. Yeah. This time we went to 100,000. So we, we reached the upper limits of the atmosphere. Oh, wow. To stop this, this missile. And Airwolf got up to Mach 2. So we're in like supersonic yeah. territory now. So, I mean, yeah. Airwolf almost had to leave orbit, you know, or yeah. leave Earth to, to, uh, to stop this missile. Oh, my God. Yeah. So. Well, thank you, Airwolf. <laughs> Look, we wouldn't be here today if it was. If wasn't for Aaron no Wood. like you know there's like Abel Archer and you know you probably heard that story about like the yeah the Soviet um yeah guy like that that he didn't he didn't press the button because he didn't trust his yeah his computer saying that like they were we were launching at them yeah and like he could have you know started World War Three if he had gone yeah yeah that whole story but that was that was basically what Airwolf did here uh so last episode from season three twenty one it's called Tracks. Yeah. Uh, so Hawk takes a group of disabled veterans. So again, we're raising awareness. Uh, he takes them on a little outdoor trip up into the mountains, but then yeah. they run across a deranged woodsman just known as the cat. So again, we had El Gato. Yeah. We have the cat now. Yeah. But he's been terrorizing anyone who trespasses on his mountain. He's killed people. Oh. And so again, Santini and Caitlin have to go on a rescue mission. And they, uh, again, Airwolf, I don't know how they get Airwolf into the mountains, but this is the show. So, yeah. you know, the, the helicopter is really the star of the show. So we have to find some way yeah. to get Airwolf in there. So that's it for the original run, the first three seasons. Yeah. And so that fourth season. It feels is like the, at a certain point they're just struggling to work the helicopter into the show. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. That like they had other ideas for storylines, but then it's like, okay, wait, we have to still find some way to shoehorn in this helicopter. Yeah. So it always just kind of like comes in at the end, like as, a, as part of some kind of a rescue mission. And then they had the badass theme. And that's one of those things like even people who have never seen the show have probably heard that. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty iconic. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the the season four is is the one with the entirely new cast, and so that's when uh, Stringfellow was replaced by his brother Saint John or, or Sanjin or whatever they call him. Yeah. Um, and Santini is mysteriously killed. We don't know what happened to him. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin never appears again or is even mentioned, so she's pretty much just erased from the show. Yeah. So we have an all all new cast, but the only one who really matters is St. John, because uh, he's the only one with any connection to the previous characters. Yeah. Uh, so season four, episode four, is called Salvage. Um, so St. John goes to the remote town of Devil's Peak to meet a former firm agent and check on her story of strange sounds and lights coming yeah. from a nearby Indian burial ground. So that seemed to be another popular theme around this time. Haunted burial grounds and stuff. Yeah. 
I also found out there was an Airwolf movie that I had never heard of. I wonder if it was like a made-for-TV movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Possible. I might have seen that at some point, but I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, I don't remember it either. Yeah. Unless it was just like spliced together from footage like the fourth season was. May have been. Um, yeah, so in this episode, he stumbles upon a secret base where an advanced military helicopter called the Scorpion is being tested and ready to be handed over to the KGB. So there's some more... We never quite got away from all the covert espionage stuff. So yeah. the Soviet version of Airwolf was, was going to be called the Scorpion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, season 4, episode 11 was called Mime Troop. And that's a pretty literal name for this episode. Oh my god, they're mime? Yes. So um, Airwolf goes to France to protect Anna LeBlanc, who is the star of a mime troop, uh, whose father was also dedicated to fighting terrorism. Just I just feel like a, I just feel like a helicopter is overkill for this mission. Yeah, it is for most of these most of these missions and mo- most of these uh, episodes. Um, also important to note now, uh, it's not called the firm anymore. It's just called the company. Okay. So it's still that same fake CIA, but now they're known as the company. So they um, had a rebranding. Yeah. So they also kind of like Kia. Yeah. <laughs> um. Season 4, episode 16 is just called The Key. Yeah. Um, In this one, anti-nuclear protesters seize missiles from both the U.S. and the U.S.S.R. and threaten to detonate them unless both both countries destroy their nuclear stockpiles. Um, So that's kind of a weird way for anti-nuclear protesters to get their message across is to detonate nuclear weapons. It is. Um, But that was the threat. And so Airwolf must infiltrate the group's secret headquarters, which was located off the coast of Scotland, and prevent them from carrying out their plan. Yeah. So this is how Scotland's going to gain their independence, actually, is they're going to steal nuclear weapons from us and from Russia, I guess, now. Yeah. And they're going to detonate them, like, in the Orkneys or something. God, just imagine if there was, like, a whole thread in history where Airwolf liberated Scotland. (laughs) So it was first it was William Wallace and then it was Airwolf. Yeah. Like seven hundred years later. Whatever. Yeah. Like, and we're gonna get some really weird action movie about Airwolf leading Scottish soldiers to <laughs> overthrow the British. <laughs> so, if you held another referendum in Scotland now, but you yeah. said that like it was for Airwolf exit. Yeah, <laughs> that it was Scotland becomes independent and they get Airwolf. Yeah. Then it would pass overwhelmingly. Oh, yeah, and if it was just, like, whatever, and they get Airwolf, they vote for it. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, whatever else, they would have voted for Brexit, Even too. Even if it was, like, banning, like, deep-fried Mars bars, <laughs> but they get Airwolf, they'd be willing to make that sacrifice. Yeah, anything where they get Airwolf out of the deal, it's yeah. worth it to them. Uh, so the last episode uh, that we'll do from the series, episode 21, was called Malduke. Uh, so we have another madman in this one who was played by Dick Van Dyke. Which, oh, wow. So he was kind of branching out here. Yeah, I guess he was just like looking for a paycheck. Yeah, it was, I don't know if this was this pre coach. Um, what was Jerry Van Dyke and coach? What was it? Oh, shit. Sorry, it was Jerry Van Dyke. That was his brother, right? There yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Dick Van Dyke um, was in this one. So, he plays uh, a madman who wants all diseased people in the world to be quarantined so they can no longer spread their, their diseases. Huh. Um, so, again, Airwolf. Is this another time the Airwolf predicting the future? I think so. I think they're predicting Austria. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, so again, we have to send in Airwolf 
because uh, who else can do it, really? Yeah. You know, Airwolf is the only, only one, the only thing that's up to the task. Uh, but once he finds out that Airwolf is coming after him, Dick Van Dyke threatens to poison the Pacific Ocean somehow. And again, <laughs> we're predicting the future because maybe yeah. that's what the Pacific Garbage Patch is. Yeah, or just like the um, oxygen levels in the ocean dropping, it was Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> yes. He actually has the power to lower the oxygen levels of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder what Jerry Van Dyke's superpower is. Um, Something comparable, but not having quite the same. Having so large that he has to carry them around in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Well, that is a but superpower. not because like he's powerful, but because he has a heart condition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, otherwise, like he would. That's need another to do reason that. to not want a heart condition is that um. You can get very large testicles, which is oh really? Is like a side effect of that? It's... Yeah, certain ones, and that's oh. not maybe. You know, as much as people will talk about wanting, like, oh, he's got big balls. Yeah, you really don't. Actually, you don't actually want big no. balls. No, you don't want like elephantitis kind of thing. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just to wrap up Airwolf, uh, the helicopter that was used in the production of the show, oh, back no. when they actually had access to a helicopter, yeah. uh, was a Bell 222, uh, which is just kind of like a basic like passenger helicopter. Oh, no, yeah. Which was painted black and um, you know indicated stealth capabilities. Uh, and then it was enhanced with some fake turbo jets and retractable guns, the missile launcher at the bottom, all yeah. that kind of stuff to turn it into this attack helicopter. Yeah. Um, but after the modica- modifications were made to uh, the Bell 222, the primary stunt pilot on the show, David Jones, told the producers that, quote, it flies better now than it did before. <laughs> so actually adding those things to yeah. the the stock helicopter made it fly better somehow. So oh, maybe wow. like gave it more balance or something. Oh, wow. Um, and unfortunately, you know, like the show dealt with some tragedy. You know, within it, yeah. the characters experience tragedy. Unfortunately, the, the helicopter itself also met a tragic end. I had two different tragedies that I know of. Okay, well, I'll give you the one here, and then you can tell me if there's another, another one. Okay. Um, so after the show was canceled, uh, the Bell 222 was returned to its stock form. It was repainted, and it was sold to a German helicopter company. Yep. Um, and it took on new life as an air ambulance, but unfortunately was lost, and it crashed into a mountain during heavy fog uh, in 1992. Yeah. And killing all three of the crew on board. And I believe there was, or- it was something like they were transporting an orphan. Yeah, they were transporting a kid, like uh, some kind of a, a condition. Yeah, I don't know what the whole story was. I just know because yeah. it, it was like in Germany? Was yeah, it was in Germany. It was in Germany. It was like used by some charity. They were transporting an orphan, and mm-hmm. it crashed. Yeah. And so, there should be a trigger warning for this next one. So, um, Airwolf um, was assaulted at one point. Really? Um, I don't know if you remember this. We used to watch a lot of documentaries on Objectophiles. Uh, okay, so Airwolf was literally assaulted. And one of the Objectophiles they were talking to talked about one night he snuck into the hangar and had a romantic encounter with uh, the helicopter from Airwolf. With Airwolf itself. With Airwolf. Herself. So I'm not saying that Airwolf took their own life. But... But Airwolf sustained some pretty traumatic damage. Yeah. 
And, um, right. Yeah, so. I don't know where I can go here that wouldn't be disrespectful to, <laughs> to just many people. So basically, Airwolf had suffered this trauma and then was trying to kind of, you know, uh, you know, put the pieces back together, start a new life, do, you know, do good, yeah. you know, help others, and then meets this tragic end. Yeah, it's really sad. So, yeah, you wonder if that maybe played a part, you know, just that. How could it not? Yeah, the, the trauma. <laughs> so that part I forgot about. I know that we had watched some of the objective yeah. stuff before, but forgot that Airwolf was a victim. Yeah, because, I mean, like, there was, like, the lady who married the Eiffel Tower, and then there was yeah, right. the lady who's obsessed with 1001 Knocked. Mm-hmm. But then there was also the guy that um, claimed that he um, assaulted Airwolf. Yeah. And he admitted to it, like, it was an assault. Oh, Wolf did not consent. Yeah, I don't know how you get consent from a helicopter, even if it's a super advanced helicopter. Yeah, because, I mean... I don't think any form of affirmative affirmative consent is at the point where it can account for someone being a helicopter. No, I mean, it was obviously the most advanced helicopter of its time. Uh very intelligent and everything, but yeah, I th- I still don't think it was capable of consent. Yeah, it's... I mean, I think that's something you could probably, you know, that would hold up in court. Yeah, it is. And like I said, I, I have more I want to say, but I feel <laughs> like I don't want to be disrespectful. Yeah. And also, I think maybe, like, taking it to such high altitudes was a form of abuse as well. Yeah. There's, like, those people where they... Abuse themselves to feel alive or feel such shame that mm-hmm. they feel that they have such low self-worth so that they need to be abused. Right. And I don't know if Airwolf was that kind of case, but um, Airwolf had some baggage. So, was just looking for a, a new high. You know, Not literally. as much baggage as, baggage as Aaliyah <laughs> was reported to have. <laughs> But Airwolf, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, Air, Air, Airwolf has lived a pain life. Yeah. So I guess at least we can say that Airwolf suffers no longer. No, Airwolf is, can no longer feel its dread or suffering, and and it brought joy to all who who flew her and experienced yeah. her. Well, we shouldn't gender Airwolf. We don't really know. Yeah. I, mean, I, know I feel like attack helicopter is his own gender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because obviously gender is fluid, and I think, yeah. you know, Airwolf identified as an attack helicopter, and, yeah. and we'll respect that choice. Yeah. Um, I think it's just kind of custom to, you know, like ships are referred to as female, and yeah. I think sometimes, you know, other machines are as well, like usually like military-related, like yeah. know, planes and helicopters and stuff. So I thought maybe Airwolf identified as female, but... But we'll go with attack helicopter, yeah. I think. That's I feel probably, that's more accurate. Yeah, it's more accurate. All right, so I think after all that, you know, that's a pretty convincing sales pitch to uh, to check out Airwolf. Highly recommend yeah. it. I mean, if you don't want to get on board after all this, I there's no there's no saving you. Yeah, I mean, if for no other reason, just do it for Airwolf's memory. She promised me, damn it. <laughs> No. All right. I think we'll we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Good journey. Good journey.